Bet365 sponsors our podcast, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything that you need to bet on sport. The domestic season may be over, but we still have the closing stages of the Champions League and Europa League finals to play, and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. And with over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, hello. It's time for this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast. We are an EFL-focused pod brought to you by The Athletic, and we are also Ali Maxwell, and on the line with me, George Ellick. George, last week we zoomed in on the situation at Charlton Athletic. This week, zooming in on another situation, but this one is more or less EFL-wide rather than just looking at one club. What have we got on the agenda today? Yeah, hopefully soon we'll be talking about football on the pitch with the season less than a month away. But today we're going to be talking about the salary cap and the impact it's having on planning for the new season. And we are delighted to be joined by The Athletic's Matt Slater, whose piece that came out this week, Disgraceful, it's communism or protecting clubs, the salary cap debate is pretty much everything you need to know about the salary cap. He speaks to about 12 different people involved in the clubs in League One and League Two who are having to plan for this uh, at the moment with their recruitment. And then we spoke to Michael Appleton as well, who is manager of Lincoln City, about the difficulties and the challenges that come with planning around a season, a chaotic season with, with all of this in place and also, of course, having not played any competitive football since March. So two brilliant guests to have on the show to talk about what is a very unique topic. Yeah, some really interesting perspectives given by Michael Appleton. Make sure that you stick around for the second part of the pod. We're going to start with Matt Slater. What a brilliant person to kick off this podcast with. He's going to talk us through all things salary cap, which was voted in in Leagues 1 and 2 last week. And he has written the primer, as mentioned by George, on the Athletic site. So if you want this explained in written form, that is, as always, the place to be. Matt's work is sensational, as are so many of the other Athletic writers at theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod. If you're not currently a subscriber, you can get a 30-day free trial. So before you move forward with a subscription, you can check out everything on site at the moment, both football and US sports as well. There's so much good on there and make sure you check that out today, theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFLpod. Right, it's time to delve into all things salary cap. And as ever, when there's a, a complicated topic to discuss, George and I breathing a sigh of relief when the Athletics' Matt Slater is available to talk us through it. Matt, thank you for joining us. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, happy to be here. Always, always uh, keen to help. First and foremost, because there are many different threads to pull at here. But just for, for those who, who have seen the news that know that a salary cap in Leagues 1 and 2 has been voted in, but maybe don't know all of the details as to how it will work. Could I ask you for a primer, an explainer, first and foremost, of, of what this is? 
Yeah, all right. Well, it is um, a hard salary cap. We've had soft salary caps before where, um, you know, the amount you could spend was connected to a percentage of your turnover. Uh, that that was deemed not to be working or not to be working well enough. It, was, it wasn't restraining clubs tightly enough and they were still losing too much money. So to, to help them help themselves... Not, not in the usual way of helping themselves, more, more to sort of save themselves. We've gone with a, a hard salary cap. So it's uh, 2.5 million for League 1 teams and it's 1.5 million for League 2 teams. Now, the important bit is what's in the cap. So it, is only, it only applies to your first team squad. So it's not your entire wage bill. It's not for your coaches either. It's for a 22-man squad this season moving to 20-man squad, squads next season. It is, of course, all your wages, your national insurance, your taxes, your agents' fees, uh, relocation costs, any, any kind of benefit that would flow to a player. Bonuses, appearance bonuses, goal bonuses. The only bonuses that are not considered under the cap would be a promotion bonus or perhaps a bonus you might earn from your cup exploits. But pretty much everything, every benefit... That, um, that, a, that a player would get from a club in terms of you know financial benefits would count. So yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty well, I would say dramatic, but it's a, it's a genuine change and uh, has certainly divided opinion in League One and continues to divide opinion in the Championship where they where they haven't voted on it yet and are are discussing it amongst themselves as we speak. That brings me on to our next question. I mean, will the Championship follow suit? Um, is it likely we're going to see this implemented there? And why was it not the case that they were lumped in with League One and League Two when it came to this decision uh, last week or two weeks ago? I suspect it's because um, the EFL realised they didn't quite have the votes in, in the Championship. Um, it went through very easily in League Two. 22-2 to two, uh, was the score there. You needed two-thirds to bring it in, so they needed 16. And the only two clubs to vote against it were, were Bradford City and Southend United. But in League One, it was 16 votes for, seven against, and, and one team abstained. Um, and the one team that abstained was Wigan, just relegated from the Championship. And, you know, you could possibly say that they were distracted or because they were under administration, um, I think is more likely. They sort of felt that they, you know, they, they, they perhaps shouldn't, you know, declare a, a, a huge opinion on this at this point. Particularly as I think they perhaps realised that, that their vote wasn't going to sway anything because because there were 16 clubs that, that wanted it. But the, but the seven who were against, my understanding is it, is it was the um, the two other relegated teams, Charlton Hull. Uh, off the top of my head, it was also Portsmouth who were very against, Sunderland very against, Ipswich. In the piece it says... Oxford United and Plymouth Argyle. That's the other it. Ones. That's it. So, so Lincoln voted for it, didn't they? And that's right. Yep. That, there's, there's your seven. You know, you'll probably detect a sort of bit of a theme there. It's, it's the bigger clubs, isn't it? It's the bigger clubs who are against. It's the ones that have the bigger attendances and therefore have the bigger turnover. Who you know, who might feel that they generate more money, so should be able to spend more money on their squads and to, and to sort of try and kind of artificially put a cap on how much they can spend and, and to level the field in that way is, is anti-competitive is, is some of the language they use and they feel very strongly about it and they also point out I mean it's different for each club but but Portsmouth is one that I spoke to and you know, they sort of say well we run a very sustainable model here um, you know we, we, we've invested in, in younger players and we our player trading profits are, are, are really good um, we get lots of fans 
we know what we're doing and um, you know we, we don't we don't see the need for this kind of regulatory intervention so that's that's the debate and and it's exactly the same debate that will be going on right now in the championship where of course the losses that the clubs have been posting for, for years now are much greater and it's 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 the league that that sort of kind of financial experts just scratch their heads about it, it is it is this this sort of tricky division where you have this weird mix of of clubs on parachute payments and um, clubs that would that have recently been on parachute payments, um, you know, you have some very wealthy owners in there, and you have some sort of small clubs, and you have you know clubs that are sort of coming up through League Two and League One, trying to do it the right way, and it's a it's a bizarre mix. So I think the vote in the Championship, I'm I'm led to believe, would would be close, closer than perhaps people might have thought, and that's possibly to do with COVID, and that's possibly to do with you know a sort of real sense of oh my word. You know, the next 18 months look, look really worrying. Could could we get some cost control in here? Overlaying that is a sort of sense that, well, is this even enforceable? Because whilst the votes have gone through in League 2 and League 1, the PFA aren't happy. And that won't surprise anyone, really, that, you know, a players' union would be concerned about a law that limits the amount of money their members can earn. I mean, that's, that's you know, our, our, our trade union would, would, would do the same if someone tried to put a pay cap on journalists. Well, I think they would anyway. So the PFA claim they haven't been consulted. Um, I think there is some justification to that claim. I think the the counter justification, if you like, would be, well, what was the point? We knew what you were going to say. Uh, They're talking now, PFA and EFL. Those talks are being very, very carefully monitored by all parties, really, but by, by championship clubs as well. And 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 likewise, you have clubs like Portsmouth and Sunderland who who haven't quite given up the fight and are thinking, well, is there a legal challenge here? Look, votes gone through, sailed through in League Two, was tight in League One. Would be, I don't know if you can get much tighter than you know sixteen, seven one in terms of getting the law through, but 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 it would be really tight in the Championship as well. And and I don't, I think the key point about the Championship is that no one knows. No one is sure what would happen, and that's you know. So it's a bit like kind of going into a, a law room where you you know you don't you don't you, you never ask a question if you don't know the answer. So the EFL doesn't know the answer, so it isn't asking the question. And, and Matt, as you mentioned at the top, that there was a soft cap in place in League One and League Two, what was called the Salary Cost Management Protocol. I think mm. actually a lot of a lot of fans don't actually realise that that was in place already um, and yet of course it wasn't necessarily doing the job that it was intended to do because we still had clubs going out of business but there is from my perspective anyway as someone who doesn't understand finances uh, uh, particularly it, it, it would make sense to have a cap linked to the revenues of the club for the, for the reasons being mentioned by Portsmouth and Sunderland which is what well, you know if we can legitimately organically not with injection of funds from a from a benefactor. If we can organically raise X amount of money, well, should we not be able to use as much as we can use while still staying financially secure? I guess the question is, was it ever possible that they would just strengthen the salary cost management protocol, keeping it linked to clubs' revenues to allow those clubs to make more money, to spend more money, but with strong limitations that meant, you know, they really couldn't get anywhere close to... to to being in, in a sort of dangerous position. Well, I think that's a really good point. And it, it's it's one that, that Portsmouth and others are, are now making very loudly. 
you know what what was wrong with that system it's a that the, the the fundamental principles of that system are, are really strong and it's basically the the system that that UEFA use for their financial fair play rules or, or even the Premier League uses for its for its rules it's it's you know it 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 is founded in in a principle of sustainability but also acknowledging that the clubs are different that one size doesn't fit all and you know should we be limiting um should we be limiting the potential and the ambitions of clubs in this way? And, and it, we get into kind of really good, well, I, I think good, but interesting debates about what we're trying to achieve here. Are, are we trying to um, achieve better sustainability and try to avoid business failures? Or are we trying to do something with a competitive balance? And that's where we get to this sort of argument um, about the way things tend to happen in North America, where they have very good competitive balance, i.e., different teams win and you have a range of champions and you have um, everyone sort of feeling that, that that they have a chance. There's this sort of any given Sunday principle you, you often hear. They have um, salary caps, which they do, but, but it's, they have more than that. They have closed leagues, for example. They have a draft system which distributes the talent evenly throughout the leagues. And I think the argument you often hear from the PFA and FIFPRO and and all the other kind of organisations who you would imagine to be, um, uh, you know, arranged against a salary cap in in European football, they say, well, look, you can't just pick one regulatory measure from that system. If, you, if you're going to have them, you've got to have all of them. You've got to have the entire suite. We don't. We we love promotional mitigation. That's what we're about. And we don't have a draft system that that that, that distributes the talent evenly and. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, you know, we, we have a cross-border, we have an international element to our game that they don't, and so on and so on and so on. So using hard salary caps to promote competitive balance is, is tricky, is, is a sort of, it, it does pose questions. And that's, again, the, some of what Portsmouth and Sunderland and Ipswich and, and I imagine clubs in the championship will be pointing out. You know, what are you trying to achieve here? Um, but But... To go back to your original point, you know, what was wrong with the salary cost management protocol? It it was deemed to be complicated and it was deemed to be hard to police because clubs were sort of finding quite clever ways to disguise turnover, to 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 claim the contributions from owners and loans were were were, 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 were sort of cash, were, were actual sort of revenue. What I kept getting back was it was complicated, too complicated. Now People have suggested to me, well, if that's if that's the case, then we we the EFL clubs, why why don't we just give the EFL more money to hire a couple more to beef up their you know their accountancy department? Would that not be a better solution if we all agree that the principle's good? And strangely enough, senior people at the EFL, very senior people at the EFL, went into this process thinking that you know what we probably will end up with a beefed up um, salary cost management protocol style cap a soft cap that is that that is based on turnover what we've ended up with is a hard cap that that you can argue is really easy to police certainly in terms of it's a it's a it's a number and we're telling you what's what counts for the cap so just divide that number by 2020 20, by 22 there's there's your sort of what what you can spend on your average player and, and come at it like a sort of fancy football type approach you know, if you want to spend that much money on your star centre forward, whether you've got this much money left over for your three, you know, for your three midfielders, there's a simplicity to a hard cap with a number, and we're telling you what goes into it. I get that. I just, I also can see the other side saying, "Well, we, what are we doing here? 
is, is this to avoid business failure because we, we you know, where, where's the evidence that we're going to fail? Are we trying to engineer better competitive balance? Because if we are, why? Is that what we're about as in European football? And why are we just using one measure and not other measures? And is there any evidence that using one measure will work? So it, it, it does pose a, a number of questions. Also on the, I mean, we've seen with other financial regulations such as FFP, certain teams will still take that gamble and break the rules in order to try and achieve what they want to set out to do. What would be the punishment for any any clubs who don't adhere to the salary cap? I, I know you mentioned the luxury tax in the piece. Yes, well, this is a good point. So, you know, any any sanction, any new rule is only as good as the you know is any is any good as the sort of your your ability to police it and how seriously you're going to take breaches. You know how how much teeth these rules have, and I think we can sort of probably say about the EFL that over the last year they have demonstrated they have teeth and that they are willing now to charge and prosecute cases related to um, related to. Profit, profitability and sustainability. It's all laid out in the rules. If you breach the cap, there will be a charge for every pound you're over up to, I think, 5% of the um, cap. That's your luxury tax element, which again is borrowed from North America. And that pot of money will then be distributed to all the good guys, the ones that stay within the cap. So there is a sort of, um, you know, that's, got, that's quite a nice element to it. And if you go over that that five percent run over amounts well you're you're going to face a charge uh and then we're in the, the you know the territory that we've been talking about with various clubs this season facing charges so you know that's that's the teeth that's the that's the stick element here the questions that that many people have posed about the cap is the transitional elements to it because it's really hard to sort of just go from one thing to another really really quickly no one you know that that wouldn't be fair there are sort of two key transitional elements to the to the rules and, and one is how you treat relegated teams so you know a team coming down from a division below will will most likely bust the cap right because they've been operating at a different level and you know different turnover bigger gates and what have you so how do you how do you treat them and then the other one is how do you treat players that are on two, three-year deals that, that predate this new rule coming in. The response is the same to both of those challenges. You treat the players as the divisional average. So and that divisional average, you just you just get, as I say, by dividing for League 1, 2.5 million by 22. And then, you know, you, you work out a number that's just over sort of 200,000 a year, which, as I said, includes taxes and fees and bonuses um, so it brings you down to a basic, I think, of more like uh, I think it's I did the, I did the calculation in my in my in my story, but it's basically sort of fifteen hundred a week. Some people sort of say it's thirteen fifty, seventeen hundred. It's, it's about that. So um, for your for your gross base salary, if you think about that, if you're a relegated team, you've probably been paying two three times that. Certainly, if you're coming out of the championship into League One, and and for cap purposes, you you get to treat those players as as you know, a, a much smaller number. Well, the, people have pointed out. Well, aren't you just entrenching a massive advantage there? Aren't you? That you know, there's already a big kind of gap between uh, League One and the Championship. Aren't you basically just entrenching that in law now? And this is a problem, I think. As long as the Championship, you know, is allowed not to have a cap. Uh, or can set a cap at a much higher rate, which it which it will do. I mean, the proposed number is eighteen million. There, there's a there's a there's a danger there that you are just entrenching in law 
the chasm between those two divisions. I mean, it's much tighter between League Two and League One, but I think that League One championship gap becomes problematic. Yeah, Matt, I must say, it feels like almost every topic that we've discussed with you has included a question about that thing that looms large in everyone's rearview mirror, which is PL2. And this is what you're (laughs) you're discussing here really indirectly is the growing gap, the chasm, if you will, between League One and the Championship. Um, You've explained how this will widen it further. Um, I know that you're constantly talking to stakeholders in the game from, from, from all divisions. How strong are the murmurs from where you are right now about the Premier League clubs trying to take advantage uh, and sort of grabbing the championship and and, and sort of adding it to their armoury? I don't think there's any (laughs) clamour. The Premier Premier League clubs quite like Premier League, you know, being Premier League clubs. They're not not really interested, I don't think. The, The interest in a Premier League 2 is from clubs that want to be in the Premier League but can't quite get there through their results. You know, the ones that have airs and graces, you know, uh, well, not airs and graces, but, but ones that maybe have recently... We know the ones or, you mean, the well, ones you think they, 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 their rightful place is in the top exactly. tier. You know, yo-yo teams, you know, teams that sort of, if we could have a, a 27-28 team Premier League, they'd be, they'd be in there. That's great, and I understand that. They're the ones that kick off if they don't like the Sky... You know, the championship, the EFL TV deal. They didn't much like Sean Harvey, um, the former chief executive. And, um, you know, they kind of moan about, oh, this isn't the way we did things when we were in the Premier League. And and the rest of the EFL go, well, you're not in the Premier League anymore. So, you know, pipe down. That PL2 talk comes around every now and then. It It's genuinely not it really isn't generated by Premier League clubs going, do you know what? We Let's let's have another breakaway. Let's, you know, we, we, wouldn't we love to, to run, run, you know, another, you know, another division and, 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 and take, you know, they, 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 that, that's just more headaches. Already within the Premier League, there are splits and divides between what the big six want to do and what their aspirations are and then what the sort of middle three or four that would like to be in the big six want to do and... You know, that's herding cats already. Why do they want to sort of take on? It's almost like, you know, can you imagine sort of how hard it is to run a stag do? Can you imagine someone saying, well, do you know what? I really want to run two stag do's. What I hear is clubs that have recently been in the Premier League or would like to be in the Premier League saying, oh, God, the EFL is a nightmare. I've got more in common with the Premier League than I've got in common with, with Rochdale or Morecambe or Macclesfield. So therefore, let's have a Premier League too. Now, that that's the sort of the central line that runs through all of this. You know, who who is it that would like a Premier League two? I think I think one of the reasons why people are talking about Premier League two again now, off the back of these salary caps, is as we I know you've written about, you've talked about there there is it's just a fact a, a big gap between League one and League and the Championship. It's not the sort of smooth progression up the pyramid that you'd ideally like. And that is largely to do with the way the EFL distributes its central income. It distributes on an 80-12-8 basis. 80% of its central income going to Championship clubs, 12% to League One, 8% to League Two. You can see the problems there, right? 80-12-8. It's almost like they've manufactured their own Premier League, well, if you will. Well, well quite. And that is why we, over the recent years, we've seen a number of well-run League One clubs go up to the championship and 
either come back straight straight back down again or sort of you know manfully struggle for a year or two and then come back down again and and you know Rotherham Burton Albion you know Barnsley Luton I mean I know they, they they beat the drop this year but it was close wasn't it and you know and even Wigan to a, you know sadly clubs that have that have done it right done it well just then struggle because the championship does not operate it's not fair. I was going to say it doesn't operate in the same way. I mean, it doesn't operate in a particularly same way, but it's inherently not fair because not only do the clubs up there already have a sort of financial advantage on you, of you, over you, just based on you know, the way the EFL distributes its money. You've got six or seven clubs in there on on basic on near Premier League money because of parachute payments. So it's a tough, tough, tough league. And if you bring in, at the moment, it's, it's it made it even harder because now you have a, a salary cap in League One and no salary cap as things stand in the championship. Well, you know, going up and gearing up over a summer to sort of kind of address that is going to be really, really hard. And even if you go from a two and a half million salary cap in League One to, let's say, 17, 18-ish in, in the championship, all, all you're really doing there is kind of acknowledging the 80-12-8 split, really, I guess. But... But that's hard. I mean, that is hard. So, you know, a club going up, you know, a club like Sunderland or Portsmouth or Ipswich, someone that, you know, would have the ability, you'd imagine, to gear up relatively quickly. You're pacing a real, you know, a real, yeah, an additional burden, I would say, on them. And that's, I think that's the problem, that the Premier League 2 talk is there. It goes on in the background. It, 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 it gets louder every now, and, every now and then. It's genuinely not driven by the Premier League. It's driven by... Premier League type clubs in the Championship, but I but people are saying, well, do you know what? All you're going to do here is just that talk is just going to get bigger now because you're going to have the gap between League One and the Championship is just going to become unbridgeable, and it's going to it's, it will look daft. You know, you'll have three teams coming up, three teams going down. Now we know that very rarely happens, but it, it it could look like that. That could be the perception. Well, thank you, as ever, Matt, for taking the time to speak to us. Ali and I are really excited to be covering football on the pitch again fairly soon, but I think it would be fanciful to think that we won't be speaking to you again pretty soon about chaos off the pitch as the AFL continues to surprise us at every turn with what's going on off the pitch. But thank you very much for, for giving us such a an interesting and in-depth uh, analysis into the salary cap, and I recommend everybody listening to check out Matt's stuff on The Athletic. Consistently so insightful as you were today. No problem at all. See you guys. Harry's sponsors Going Up, Going Down, which is a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced raises. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And, and now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close and comfortable shave. A weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Now, as a listener of Going Up, Going Down, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash going up right now. That's harrys.com forward slash going up. So delighted to be joined by Lincoln City manager Michael Appleton. 
Uh, and Michael, it's it's been a funny few months. We, we've spoken a lot on this podcast and in the wider media about how the, the, the currency in football is changing. And, and what's it been like as a manager trying to build a squad during all of this uncertainty, financial lack of security as well? What have you noticed that's been different about trying to build a squad this time around? Well, I suppose the biggest um, thing that's been different is y- you find yourself um, having to do a lot of your work or we have found ourselves doing a lot of our work over Zoom calls. So whether that's speaking to agents, players, clubs, etc. I found that quite difficult at first because I'm very much a people person in terms of, you know, looking someone in the eye, getting close to them, having an idea of what they're about as a personality. So, so that was difficult. But I must say between obviously myself and the coaching staff and, and all the recruitment guys, you know, where maybe one or two clubs were sleeping during COVID in terms of recruitment, we were working really hard. So it did make the process a little bit easier. The financial side of things, obviously, I don't think we're going to get pure clarity on that as a club and um, as our, you know, League One and League Two, especially um, until we find out whether, you know, there's going to be another advance payment or there's going to be some kind of package that's going to be given to League One and League Two clubs going forward. So I think there's a massive uncertainty and I, I suppose at the minute, our budget reflects worst case scenario uh, and I'm guessing that, that that's going to be across the board or I would imagine across the board with clubs who are, who are prepared to be sensible. Was it difficult when you were speaking to players and having conversations, players you knew you wanted to sign who had certain wage demands and, and you weren't really aware whether that was paying over the odds, whether that was paying what you should be paying given you know the changes from last season? Yeah, we had to literally turn it into, uh, it sounds a little bit cheesy and you've got to, I suppose, um, try and take the player away from that, that financial side of it and he almost convinced the agent as well. We would, we just try to turn it back to the football, really, and go, look, I think there's going to be, well, we knew there'd be a lot of players out of contract and we were just trying to put a little bit of pressure on the player and the agent and say, look, you know, for a year or two, it might have to be about the football. Yes, the financial package is important and they have to be able to uh, support a family, etc. But for a year or two, it might have to be about the football. And we just we presented a presentation to all the players, all the clubs that we spoke to about Lincoln, about the football club in itself, what we're trying to do, the next step, where we're trying to take it to. And luckily... Quite a few players bought into it. And Michael, of course, having had a a few months of trying to recruit in the COVID era, then there was something new as well, the salary cap that was voted in by League One and League Two clubs. Uh, The CEO of Lincoln City, Liam Scully, uh, backed the salary cap when he spoke to the Athletics' Matt Slater. I suppose from a managerial perspective, I'm interested to know whether you yourself were, were happy to see it implemented. And given you like to be heavily involved in recruitment wherever you are, are you now having to do a lot of sums at the moment, more sums than you would have normally been doing, trying to work out who's going over the cap, what's hitting the cap and, and what you have left? I completely understand both sides of the argument, you know, uh, I must say that. So if you're one of the bigger clubs who get, you know, between, I don't know, fifteen and 25,000 most weeks, because we've got some big clubs, obviously, as you know, in League One. Um, I get that and I get their frustrations and I understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, you know, I'm Lincoln City manager and, and I mean this with the greatest respect, it doesn't really affect me um, because, you know, we won't be as a club in a position where we'll be going above that salary cap anyway. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of managers in, in League One who are the same where they're saying to themselves, well, 
yeah, okay, there's a salary cap there. But I, I can't wait and hope I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where it actually affects me. Um, but, you know, I think what we have done is made sure that the model that we're working to um, makes it comfortable for us to be within that salary cap. Um, and then, and I, I, as someone who has prided yourself on on savvy recruitment in previous jobs with Oxford United, especially uh, without big budgets, is there potentially an advantage for you uh, if you back yourself to be able ultimately to, to build a squad when you've got the same amount of money to spend on a playing squad uh, as teams in your division with with higher revenues? Does that make you think, well, actually, I can use my skills in the transfer market here to, to good effect and, and, and start challenging towards the top of the table? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, the best part of recruitment is trying to put a squad together that's worth at least twice its value. Um, you know, we do believe that we've got a squad as it stands at the minute. And don't get me wrong, we need some additions to it that probably should be earning and is worth than what the actual uh, budget is. And you're right. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference this season. I think with the restrictions in place in terms of players already under contract and what the average comes out at, I think, you know, your Sunderland, your Ditswich and the bigger clubs in the, in the division will still be okay this year. They probably see it as they've got one year to really, really try and get out the league before they may have to make some serious, serious big decisions. But I think going forward, you're right, I think over the next two or three years, it'll come down to who's, who's you know, the, the best sort of coaches, um, who gets themselves organised and prepare for games as best they possibly can. Michael, it's the, it's the 20th of August as we speak and, and Lincoln City haven't played a competitive game since the middle of March. What's it been like trying to get this squad of players together back fit and back ready to start what's going to be an incredibly chaotic season once it gets underway in three or four weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's been tough. I mean, getting the balance between how hard you push the lads in pre-season because obviously when you've had that amount of time off, you, you're always wary that you can't go straight back into you know, well, we couldn't anyway because of COVID, but full contact and whether we have small-sided games, do we open the pitch um, really big at first, do, you know. So there was lots of things to balance, but I think that the one advantage that we have had because of the length of time that the players have found themselves not doing much, you know, they're like kids in a sweet shop, you know what I mean? It's like they're so excited, they're so excited to, to sort of get back on the field and... Um, you know, and I can assure you that this will be right across the football league. That come that first day of uh, the season, whether there's fans in the stadium or not, there'll be a real competitive edge to everybody. It's great having you on, Michael, because we're really interested in in recruitment processes and looking at some of the changes you've had this summer at the club. Um, Lincoln, of course, have risen up the divisions a lot in the last five years or so. You have lost some players who have experienced great success with the club, the likes of Michael Bostwick and Lee Frecklington. And, and early the right back as well, but plenty of, of new signings through the door as well. Liam Bridker, Adam Jackson, Jamie Jones, to name a few. But I'm sorry if this is focusing too much on one player. I'm just really interested about Lewis Montsma, who's a Dutch defender that you signed from Dordrecht in the in the Dutch second tier. We're looking forward to seeing how he gets on. But really, I'd love you to explain how that came about and what the process was. Like, how was he flagged up, and and how did that develop? How did you, as a manager, think? Yes, I, I, I can see how this. Uh, second-tier Dutch football would translate to, to my League One team? Yeah, well, I think obviously with COVID happening and we knew that obviously financial restrictions were going to come into play a little bit. Um, 
and we were, re- we're really lucky. We've got a fantastic analyst um, called Joe Hutchinson who used to work for the FA and you know we worked hard to get him into the building uh, last year. And to be fair to Joe, uh, we spoke about you know various countries where we might be able to compete financially um, and Holland was one of them. Um, so he set about almost doing a, a complete stats on uh, defenders because we knew we needed some central defenders. And you know, Lewis was right up there in terms of whether it was all his defensive stats, attacking stats on the ball, completion rate, etc. Lewis kept coming up time and time again. So we, we delved a little bit closer and a little bit deeper. Uh, myself and all the staff probably watched about 10 games uh, that he played in. Um, and then we did a little bit more work on, okay, I know the stats say this, but you know what are his real strengths and weaknesses? And we, we, we really struggled to find some weaknesses in his game, you know, and I think the more we watched him, the more we liked and, you know, you, you guys will see him at first hand this season. He's an absolute physical, you know, specimen. Like he's an athlete and he's decent on the ball, he's comfortable. We just believe that we've found a player that somehow um, has, um, you know, been missed by a lot of top quality clubs in Europe and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can develop him. Michael, we're going to let you go back to training uh, now in just a second. Just a last question for you, because, you know, the Oxford United team that you built, I, of course, knew very well. I, I was in the stands pretty much every game to see them. And, and the first season you had at Oxford um, was, a, was a difficult one, which ended um, brightly. Your first season, or your first half season at Lincoln was solid, if not spectacular. But we can see in the recruitment that you're starting to build uh, a side with your kind of stamp all over it, I guess. What, what are your ambitions coming into this season because in that second season at Oxford you know you've got promotion automatic promotion with the club yeah I mean I think that might be at least a season away from us if, if I'm being brutally honest um, don't get me wrong uh, we're certainly not ruling that out but I think in terms of progression I think it's important that we try and finish if we can in the top half of the table you know it's the first time in, in, in this league for 21 years last year as a club um, you know we finished below mid table and it was a respectable finish but I think this year if we can compete in the top half of the table I think it'd be a good thing and if we can keep this group together I think I genuinely do believe that they can do something similar to what the Oxford lads did Brilliant Michael thank you so much best of luck for, from all of us and hope to speak to you again soon Cheers guys take care see you later This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20, that's EPL20, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. So, George, uh, 
what a interesting half hour that's been um, and illuminating really with, with our two guests and so nice as well on a personal level for us, you talking to one of your Oxford United heroes in Michael Appleton and me talking to one of my journalism heroes in, in Matt Slater. Um, but I mean, I don't really know where to start with that. What are you sifting back through and, and picking out as the, as the most interesting, illuminating parts of that discussion? I love talking to Matt on this podcast because he's always such a great guest, but I can't help always feeling a little bit fearful for the for the leagues as we know them after speaking to him because it does feel like that divide between the championship and league one something I, I wrote about for the athletic just just under a year ago uh, is only going to grow wider now in the aftermath of this crisis and that is something that I think is is imperative that it doesn't happen because the competitive nature of these three leagues the way they are set up is is so crucial to the English game and it would be something of a disaster to see a Premier League two in whatever guys come about. However, speaking to Michael, it was a little bit more hopeful. It's good to talk about football again, even if it's kind of the impact off the pitch. Um, he seems very positive about the the business that that uh, Lincoln have done. And my favourite quote from Michael was him just saying, you know, when recruiting players, saying to them, look, for a year or two, it might not be about earning loads of money. You just got to get back to the football and do what you love. And they've been as busy as, as any club in the EFL this summer already in terms of, of strengthening, which suggests that players are happy to buy into that and are happy to think to themselves, yeah, you know what? I want to play for a club who are going to support me. I might not earn what I was earning for the last couple of years, but being in an environment where I can play football and play a certain style is enough to get them to sign on. So hopefully I'm not clutching at straws, Ali, but I think there's a bit of hope there somewhere. When he said well, the salary cap doesn't hugely affect us because we wouldn't hit that number anyway. It did make me wonder, uh, and the, you know, wage information is hard to come by, um, playing budgets, etc. Uh, certainly live, if you will, in real time. But it's really interesting now to try and, and find out how many League One clubs, how many League Two clubs will have to reduce their playing budget because of the cap and how many, like Lincoln perhaps, were not actually particularly affected. And it kind of adds weight to my sympathy for some of the uh, clubs that have higher revenues, you know, the, the mm. ones who voted against it at the top of League One, especially, it's hard not to have sympathy with what is quite a basic argument that if we can make X amount of money um, and, uh, you know, and, and that might be five times, 10 times as much as other clubs in the division, why should we all have to spend the same amount on our playing budget if we can still be sustainable with a with a higher playing budget, um, I I suppose what I would keep coming back to because sometimes it's the minority that shout loudest here and and get the most um, get the most uh, attention I suppose in 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 discussions like this is that it's worth remembering as Matt said these were voted in by the clubs and they needed a majority they needed a seventy five percent majority so even though in League One it was tight uh, seven clubs against it sixteen four and, and Wigan abstaining in League Two not particularly tight two, twenty two clubs voting for and two voting against. I think that that shows how serious the financial picture is uh, with the coronavirus pandemic. And I think somehow, even though it feels like we've talked about little else over the last six months, <laughs> I feel like potentially with football having come back in, in certain leagues and guises and with the new season just three and a bit weeks away, I still think we and fans and others are forgetting 
the 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 slightly worrying financial picture and i think that that's reflected in in some of the votes so yeah i mean so so much to think about i i loved matt comparing um what was it about stag dues when he's talking about yeah, the premier league one. but i thought that was really interesting though because actually in the sort of circles we move in george and, and online from efl fans there is a constant concern that the that the big scary rich premier league just wants to gobble up the championship and and basically ruin the league system that we love and and cherish so much so it's kind of interesting to hear matt not necessarily towing that line but saying hold on it's actually nothing really to do with the premier league i'll definitely take a lot away from from that part of the chat yeah no absolutely um i i do agree And, and as i said at the end of the of the chat with matt as well it just feels just feels like this is just going to be the beginning of a long conversation going forwards, mm. um, especially with the salary cap. I mean, we didn't even speak about the the PFA um, objection to to it as well, which is going to rumble on with the PFA saying it's unlawful. There's going to be plenty more time for us to speak to Matt, I'm sure, in the next few weeks, which listeners will be delighted by because he is such a great guest. And it makes recruitment interesting as well because competitive balance might be increased by the fact that the club's all in League One and League Two anyway, uh, at the moment have to essentially work under a, a hard salary cap. And as Michael said, for managers and recruitment teams who back themselves to be better than average, for coaching teams that think they can develop their own players rather than buying a, a ready-made replacement all the time, um, they might have more of an advantage than previously. And, th- and that in some ways is good for the sport for competitive balance so so much to mull over for the rest of the day i'm going to go sit in a dark room Uh, this has been the going up going down podcast it's brought to you by the athletic and clearly the athletic with matt slater on board is the place to go for for the the best sports journalism not just football although it is the best stable of football writers on the planet but also uh, american sports and so much more as well so if you haven't subscribed to the athletic that's also where you can get these podcasts ad-free. and So many other good athletic podcasts are available. Uh, then do sign up today, theathletic.co.uk forward slash EFL pod will allow you to get a 30-day free trial. So you could check out as much as you physically can in 30 days uh, and decide whether to move on forward with an annual subscription. And please make sure you subscribe to this pod because we've got plenty of irons in the fire just over three weeks until the season starts. We cannot wait. There'll be football chat, off the field chat as always. And we hope that you'll join us next week. Mm-hmm.